And I'll invite you now uh, to, to pray with me. We're going to be considering uh, this morning a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll refer to it as we get into the text uh, in this Building Faith series. This morning our topic is Building Faith Through the Strength of Weakness, uh, a very counterintuitive but very important principle running all through the scriptures is that we are made strong in weakness. Understanding that, embracing that, living into that is what we're looking at this morning. Please join me. We'll take a moment. We'll pray together. Father, thanks so much that we can gather within these beautiful walls that were created by faithful workers uh, just about seven or eight years ago now, and we have been the recipients of uh, your grace here. And even as we pray for workers, Father, we pray for the work to which each of us are called, the work of representing your heart to one another and to our community and to our world, Father. So we gather in many states of heart. Would your Holy Spirit speak to each of us this morning? We'll thank you for it as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Richard Rohr has written a book entitled Falling Upward, and it's really about uh, the second half of life in a way, though it's not about chronologically necessarily the second half of life. And this is what he says in the beginning of his book. It's a very good book. I recommend it to you. He's, this is what he says. Building the container of our lives is a first half occupation. And what he means by building a container of our lives is this. If you think of a container, the container is your home, your vocation, your financial security, your friends, your geographical location. We build a life, right? Everybody builds a life. We're all in the midst of building a life. But then he says, there's a second job that all of us have, and that's filling the container with meaning. In other words, it's one thing to have a life. It's another thing to have a meaningful life. And Rohr says it this way, and I'm quoting now, two people can have the same job description, and one is holding a subtle or not so subtle life energy in doing his job, giving out life to those around he or she, while another is holding a subtle or not so subtle negative energy, sucking life out of the room. One exudes life, giving off energy, hope, meaning, another sucking the life out of a situation. And all of us in the room know this to be true, right? You've been, how many have been in a work situation? There's two people, they're both doing basically the same thing, but one is absolutely draining you and the other is giving you life. Has it ever happened to anybody in the room? Let's name that person who's sucking the life out of the room. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's not do that right now. But you know that that does happen. You know that it's a reality. And so Jesus' intention for us isn't that we spend our entire days worrying, as he says in Matthew 6, about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, what our net worth will be, what our cholesterol level will be, what our blood pressure will be, where we'll live, how big our house will be, how big our 401k will be. These things occupy our lives. More important says Roar and Jesus, to seek the kingdom so that we can become the people God had in mind when he created us. And those are people filled with life. And the word life, John 10.10, 10, isn't bios, that's the container. The word life is zoe, that's the meaning you put in the container. Zoe means, am I a person overflowing with hope, meaning, joy, peace, service? Do I make a situation better or worse? Am I divisive or a uniter? Am I peace-loving or contentious? What am I? That's the point. And here's the thing. When I'm occupied with that first paradigm, building the container, I'm often avoiding weakness. Because to get on in life, we have to present ourselves, or so we believe, as strong. 
So weakness becomes something to be feared, something to be avoided, something to deny we have. We don't talk about our weaknesses when we're insecure, and we're insecure when we're building that container, right? And so we don't want, we don't want to be thought of as weak because we're afraid we won't be able to build the container. Again, I'll give you an example. Uh, when you interview, people say, so, uh, tell us about your strengths, and then what do people say? They, everybody wants to know, it's an interview setting, right? What are your weaknesses? And I hate it. If you're ever applying up for a job here, I'll just let you know, I hate it when, like, I ask for your weakness, and, you're, and what you give me is a veiled strength. I just hate that. So when I say, what's your weakness, and you're like, I'm a perfectionist. I just have to do everything 110%. <laughs> I go, not hireable, right? <laughs> because you're so unaware of your own weakness that the only way that you can present a weakness is in the form of a strength, do you see? And can I just add here, often when we're young and we're trying to build this container, um, uh, we are unaware of our weaknesses because we, like, we don't want to present ourselves as weak. Uh, how many remember the movie? Um, uh, oh, now I can't remember the movie. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. That's the movie. Yeah, you remember the movie Napoleon Dynamite? And so there's this kid who's super geeky and insecure. Do you remember this? And what my favorite scene in the movie is he has this girl that he's taken to the prom, and then he goes into the bathroom, and he's looking in the mirror, and he finds, a, he finds a zit or something like that. I can't remember exactly what's going on. But he's super, like, uh, he's, he's just insecure. And the music in the moment is, do you want to be forever young, right? I, I remember the first time I watched that, I just laughed out loud because I was like, I am so glad I am not forever young. I'm so glad I'm not staring in the mirror anymore, you know, wondering what are people going to think of me. I just come out here, this is who I am, this is what you get, right? Costco jeans, a shirt from REI, sometimes a sweater from Goodwill. This is my hair, this is my life. Take it or leave it, this is me right? So I'm beyond forever young. I'm in this second half thing. And the second half thing, we're told, is about uh, becoming people who are life-giving. And the thesis of the gospel is this. I can never become this river of living water until I both experience and embrace and name and actually come to a point of being able to celebrate at a level my weakness. I've got to learn how to embrace my weakness, and you don't have to wait till you're 50 to do this. That's why we're having this conversation right now. But it's so counterintuitive that without intentionality, this core element of the gospel fades away. And we find ourselves stuck in a paradigm, forever anxious about vocation, identity, financial security, physical health, strength, well-being, looks, body image. And God is calling us to get over that and move beyond that into something much more profound and much more real and much more eternal. He's calling us to become this river of living water. The only way we get there is by, by moving into this awareness and living with and embracing our weakness. It's the only way to get there. So moving beyond anxiety about money, vocation happens when I walk through the fires of weakness and I embrace weakness, not as something to be endured only, but as a valuable gift. So if you're here this morning and, and you're aware of weakness or you're dealing with a situation, family illness, financial setback, hidden sin, deep loss, 
profound sense of insecurity, uh, or you know your weakness. I'm prone to lust. I'm prone to fear. I'm, pro I'm prone to cynicism, disengagement, self-righteousness. Uh, like if you know your weakness, I have a beautiful word for you this morning. Look, when you are weak, then you are strong. That's the text this morning in a nutshell. When you're weak, then you're strong. Counterintuitive, difficult to live, but profoundly true and life-giving, as we'll see here in our moments together. So here's the context of 2 Corinthians 12, our text. Paul shares a biographical account of the many challenges he's been facing in his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So Paul cares deeply for the Corinthian church, and he writes uh, actually three letters to them, but uh, two that we have uh, uh, recorded. And in 2 Corinthians 11, this is, he's just talking about, uh, almost in passing in a way, these are some of my experiences, and, and uh, they're trials that make him feel weak. He says, three times I've been beaten with rods, once stoned and left for dead, three times shipwrecked, and night and a day I've spent floating around in the, in the ocean, uh, been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from countrymen, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, Danger among false brethren, labor, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, beatings, without food, cold, exposure, uh, many stresses, many stresses, right? That's what he, he names them. And so life has not been easy. He's giving this personal account, and he says, who's weak without my being weak? I'm weak, he says. Life's been hard, stressful. And then he continues on. He says, if I have to boast, I'm going to boast regarding what pertains to my weakness. And then, in chapter 12, he says, look, I have this weakness, the, the, the weakness of my experiences. But then, as well, uh, he says, 14 years ago, I had a revelation. I was caught up into the third heaven. And, and just for this morning, uh, if I can try and give you an explanation of what he means by that, Paul had a vision. And his vision, Paul could see beyond the veil of temporary time, and he saw things entirely from a heavenly perspective. How incredible would that be, right? If even just for a moment, you could see life from the eternal perspective. And so Paul had that, 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 that gift of a vision, and uh, I haven't had that, but if someone has had that, there's a temptation, right? And the temptation would be this. I've had the vision, right? I've had I mean, it's like walking on the moon. Like, I don't care what you've done, I've walked on the moon. <laughs> I'm better than you, right? It's, so, kind of, I've had the vision. I've had the vision. You haven't had the Oh, oh, Bible study this morning? Coffee with God? Nice. I've had the vision. <laughs> Been to the third heaven lately, right? So you can see here, like there's a temptation uh, with great revelation, there's a temptation with, with a fruitful ministry. There's a temptation that comes with blessing. There's a temptation that comes with blessing. And the temptation is that we will exalt ourselves, right? Oh, you know, the ministry's growing, or I'm fruitful, or I've had the vision, or all is well, or I'm rich, or I'm strong, or whatever it is that, that causes me to say, this is where, you know, this is where I am, and, and that's Paul. And so, this is what happens. Paul says, because of the greatness of the, uh, of the revelation, in order to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, something from Satan sent to torment me, right? 
And then Paul says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12, I asked, I prayed that God would take this thorn away. I mean, it didn't come from God, it came from Satan. Take it away. He says, I asked three times. Take it away, Lord. Please, take it away. Take it away. How many have ever done this? There's a weakness in our lives. It's a physical affliction. It's a trial. It's a, it's a, there's a propensity. It's something in our personality. And we're like, I wish I didn't have this. God, why are you doing this to me? We pray. That's Paul here, right? And then <clears throat> God's answer makes no sense to us at a level. Please, God, heal me. Please, God, I'm weak. Make me strong. Please, God, I'm prone to anxiety. I just want peace only, right? And here's God's answer. Verse 9. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. So in other words, God's prayer, excuse me, Paul's prayer, take it away, God's answer. I'm going to give you something better than taking it away. What, what could be better than taking away my affliction? Here's what. Uh, my strength perfected in your weakness. So the weakness stays. The weakness stays. And then Paul, then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, verse 9, this, this is crazy. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weakness. Not endure my weakness, not tolerate my weakness. I will boast about my weakness. Why? Because when I, watch, and here's the paradox, when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, the, the two phrases, that's what we look at this morning. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now watch, here we go. When I'm weak. Not if I'm weak, when I'm weak. In other words, Weakness is a reality, you, like if you don't have, if you're not, we're all weak this morning, but maybe you're not aware of your weakness, and if you're not aware of your weakness this morning, I have good news for you, don't worry, you will be someday, right? Like God is relentless to reveal our weakness. The Bible is filled with stories of weakness, and this is, the entire Bible is, a, is about weak people. It's one of the reasons I believe in the Bible. I mean, no ad agency would have written this to convince people to become Christians, right? Because it's filled with uh, kind of the underbelly. Every saint has a dark side, everyone. So Abraham, man of great faith and great doubt. So much doubt that, you know, he, he wouldn't believe that he could impregnate his wife because he was getting older, she was getting older, so he sleeps with a maid. Enough faith to leave, but not enough faith to wait. Weak. Uh, his son then, who's born supernaturally, Isaac, also weak. Unabashed favoritism offered toward one of his sons, one of Isaac's sons, that was Jacob and Esau. And it says, Isaac loved Esau and ignored Jacob. So the man is chosen by God, loved by God, saved and weak, like a terrible father. That's Isaac. And then Jacob is this son of Isaac, and he's a deceiver, and he's graceless, and he's performance-based, and he's a cheater, and he's a thief, and he marries four women. And so when God shows up all through the Old Testament, like, here's his, when he self-names, he says, you know, here I am, the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of whom had faith and weakness. And then go on. Jacob has 12 sons. 
they're disasters, man. I do this thing when I, you know, I teach Genesis when I travel. And I, so I, we, we read the narrative of the 12 sons, and I start putting, you know, their calling over here is, you know, Galatians 5. You're supposed to look like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Uh, and then I go, and so how are they doing? And over here, there's a list. These are the sins of the brothers. You know, rape, theft, murder, lying, cheating, um, sleeping with prostitutes, self-righteousness, anger, jealousy, selling family members as slaves, human trafficking, hardness of heart. That's God's chosen family, right? Loved, yes. Saved, yes. What to do the will of God, yes. Weakness, yes. Huge. Disasters. Fraught with weakness. Many even think Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical affliction, and maybe it was, we don't know. Some people say, oh yeah, Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had bad eyesight. And other people say, oh yeah, he was short. Thorn in the flesh. And other people say, oh yeah, Paul, I think he's bald. So if you're short, bald, and you're wearing glasses this morning, <laughs> you and Paul, right? You're just like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but can I just suggest to you that though we all have physical afflictions, uh, there's a bigger reality going on here. There is a bigger reality going on here. I want to make sure that we understand the bigger reality. Paul talks about his own uh, struggles internally. Maybe he is bald and short, but when he is moaning about uh, uh, the torment that's going on in his soul, it's not because he's bald. This is what he says in Romans 7, and I'll just read it for you, verse 17. Paul says, here's my problem. I know that nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. In my spirit, there's willingness to do the will of God, but though there's willingness to do the will of God, the doing of the good isn't happening. The good I want to do, I don't do, but I practice the very thing that I do not want to do. But if, I, but if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin dwells in me. I find the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I've been saved. Christ has filled me. I want to do God's will. I want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And instead, there's something going on over here that's completely contrary to the will of God. I know it's wrong. I hate it, but it's in me. That's Paul. That's the great Paul, right? And in his case, many believe, and I do, that what Paul struggles with is one of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's coveting. But if we took a survey in the room, all of us struggle. That's the thing. We all have something in us that's contrary to the will of God, and we know it's contrary to the will of God, and we don't like it, we wish it would go away, and it's still there. For when it's coveting, for when it's lust, for when it's anger, for when it's it's passivity, for when it's cynicism, for when it's self-righteousness, for when it's a tendency to disengage when things get hard, for when it's criticism, for when it's greed. Everyone has something. And so, so it's kind of this, we all have this Achilles heel in us. And, it's, and theologically, it's, it, it says it resides in our flesh like it's in us, right? And so now you come to Christ and your spirit is renewed. But here's the thing. Though your spirit is renewed, you still, there's something that you still struggle with the flesh. And so Paul says in Romans 7, verse 24, like, I try, I fail. I try, I fail. I make a resolution, doesn't do any good. I pray about this, I think I've beaten it, and then, bam, 
You know, it pops up again. How many can identify with this in life, right? Many of us in the room, like we ha- we're not there yet. I'm called to joy and I'm, and I'm depressing to be around. I'm, you know, I'm called to peace and I'm anxious. And he said, this is what he says. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? And then he says, there is freedom, but it's found in Christ. But it's found on the far side of absolutely embracing the reality of my weakness. So here's the thing. We are, okay, I have this weakness. It's, it's tempting to go, yeah, but this, this weakness, it goes away, right? Does it go away? Please, Richard, tell me it goes away. And uh, here's, I'm here to say to you, it doesn't go away. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this. I'm paraphrasing for time. Look, in you is the Spirit. Christ lives in you now. And Christ only wants to do God's will. And here's what else lives in you, the flesh. And we're told in Galatians 5, 16 and 17 that these two are in conflict with one another so that you don't always do the things you want. We're told that in the Bible. Like, saved, yes. Love God, yes. Want to do the will of God, yes. Uh, do I ever get to the point where I'm rid of the flesh? And here's the answer, no. Never, never. So, uh, <laughs> this is like, this is the beauty, actually, of AA. Like, Alcoholics Anonymous, if I'm an alcoholic, I don't stand up and say, hi, my name is Richard, I was an alcoholic. I don't say that, do I? I stand up and say, hi, I'm Richard, I am an alcoholic. Well, and then, if you want to be nice to me, you'll be like, oh, no, 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 listen, listen, no, that's not who you are anymore. You used to be that, but now, you know, remember, you've beaten that. You've been dry for three years or five years or five years and ten days or whatever it is. You're not. And then the, the wise man will say, oh, no, I am, because I know who I am if I slip back into my sin. I know it's in me. It's in me. Do you see? And as long as I see that my weakness is in me, now I'm at a point where I'm ready to receive the strength of Christ. But if I deny that I'm weak through self-righteousness, if I believe that I've completely overcome it, that I will never sin again, I am one step away from disaster, friends. This is why James 5 says, confess your sins to one another so they be healed. Why is that? Because, look, I confess to Christ to be forgiven, but I confess to you so that, so that I am saying to you, apart from Christ, this is where I'll go. This is my weakness. I know it. I name it. It's, who I, it's part of me. <laughs> and now I'm empowered to overcome that because, precisely because I've named it. My friend who passed away in the Alps, Hans Peter and I, we used to ski and hike and climb together and stuff. And almost every time we were together, we would share with each other, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, this is how I think my life would have turned out. And I, and I used to say to him, I don't, think I, could have, I don't think I could have remained married. I think I'd be a terrible father. I think I would be overcome by uh, lust for money, sex, and power. So... Just make a lot of money and have a lot of fun and die. That's me without Jesus. Uh, who are you without uh, Jesus? I'd say to Hans Peter. And he'd say, I'm the guy who kills people like you. <laughs> because uh, I hate anarchists like that. And I would just, you know, I would be, you know, that's him. And then say, who's there's somebody else and somebody else. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like if you know who you are apart from Christ, then you know you need Christ. But if you're like this, oh, apart from Christ, I'm good. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think I pretty much got things covered. I'd be the nine to five guy, great dad, great father, great husband. I'd probably teach a couple Bible studies on the side. I have a word for you, Pharisee. Like religious expert who presents yourself as having arrived so that you don't have to face your own weakness and you will never know the life for which you're created unless you embrace your weakness. When you are weak, next point, then you are strong. When you're weak, then you're strong. Over and over again in the Bible, we're called to be strong, right? One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Joshua chapter 1. And underline the word be strong in there, the phrase be strong. Boom, 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 boom. Six times. Be strong in the Lord. Strong, strong, strong. And now, here's this whole other theme. Be weak. Well, how are these related? Well, the strength to which I am invited is always a strength on the far side of weakness. I mean, particularly illustrated in that very book, the book of Joshua, right? I mean, in the book of Joshua, the army that is about to conquer Jericho is told by God, wait, before you go in and conquer the city of Jericho, I want you to do something. Joshua, circumcise the whole army and then go into battle. How's that for brilliant military strategy? <laughs> circumcise the army, then go into battle. Oh, and by the way, uh, uh, you're not going to go in for seven days so that you have a little chance to heal a little bit. But during those seven days, every day, you're going to limp around the city so that everybody knows that you guys are weak, right? And you're, you're going to walk around and you're going to... And then on the last day, here's what you're going to do. On the last day, I'm going to call everybody together and you're going to sing a song. <laughs> and when you sing a song, the walls will come tumbling down and, and then you'll win. And when you win, you'll be like this. We are strong. No, you won't. You'll be like this. Look what God did. Do you understand? Are they strong? Absolutely. But it's a strength of the far side of weakness. This is always God's way to put us in a position of weakness so that uh, what, what exits our life is hypocrisy, self-righteousness, pretending that we're stronger than we are. Like when we're boasting in our own human strength, which is actually feeble, it's rooted in a denial of weakness, and the denial of weakness is rooted in a paradigm that weakness is the foundation for weakness. But weakness is not a foundation for weakness. Weakness is the foundation upon which the true strength that will fill the container of our lives with meaning is built. We need to embrace our weakness. It's only out of poverty that I'm rich. It's only by being last that I'm first. It's only by dying that I live. And it's only by embracing my weakness that I become strong. So what does God do? God always allows circumstances in our lives to put us in a position where we are you know, vitally aware of our weakness. There's always a thorn. You can't run from it. You can try and deny it, you can be mad at it, but only by embracing it will you actually become strong. Best example of this, Jacob and Esau. Great, I mean, amazing story, Jacob and Esau. I'm going to share a little bit how this played out. If you don't know your Bibles, and I know some of you don't, I mean, it's, it's an Old Testament story. And uh, Jacob, you see, uh, stole the, his brother's inheritance. And we're told in the story that Jacob is physically not, I mean, there's not much to him, right? He's, I think he probably weighs about 160 pounds. I'm guessing he's a trail runner or a marathoner or something like that, which could be great, but not in a boxing match, right? And his brother Esau is the opposite of that. He's, he looks like you, 
you know, big arms, CrossFit, probably shaves four times a day, testosterone, you know, coursing through his body, you know, super strong. So here, like, here's a guy, uh, Jacob, uh, who steals from his, his, you know, more muscular, volatile, unstable brother. And then his brother says, no problem, man. I'll get my inheritance back. It's easy. I'll just kill him. He's not even worried about the fight, right? There's no, there won't be a fight. And Jacob blows over. That's the end of it, right? So Jacob hears about this, and what does he do? He does what Monty Python does. Run away! And he's gone. You know, he goes, so he goes to a different country, marries four women, fathers, you know, 13 children, and, you know, gets wealthy through a little de- more deception, whatever. And then he's like this, I'm going home. But always in the back of his mind, it's been years, it's been a long time, always in the back of his mind, there's who? Harry Esau. The last words he heard from him was, he's going to kill me. So on his way home, he sends out a reconnaissance team to send presents to Esau. They go out and they come back, and this is all they say to Jacob. Oh, yeah, Esau's coming, and he's bringing 400 men with him. That's all he says. Now, if you're Jacob, prone to anxiety, as he is, and you weigh 160 pounds, and the last word you heard was he's going to kill me, you're immediately you're terrified, right? And so Jacob is terrified. So Jacob, never without a plan, this is what he does. <laughs> Esau's way in the back. Jacob, this is, a, this is a creek. Jacob sends everyone across the creek except himself, okay? He's at the back of the line. And he, and he lines everybody up from his least favorite wife and her kids to wife number three, to wife number two, to wife number one. And then there's a creek, and then there's Jacob. What a wimp, right? And, so, and then, so he's over here, and of course, you know what he's thinking. I know what he's thinking. What he's thinking is, if I hear screaming and see dust rising way up there in front, I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to run. I'm going to run away. So he's there, he's by, you know, he's by the creek, and he's waiting, you know, the next day for things to unfold, and, he, and then, you know, God shows up, and, they, and there's a wrestling match. You read it, it's, it's in Genesis, right? God shows up and wrestles with Jacob, and um, Jacob goes, I won't let you go unless you bless me, and here's part of the blessing. Part of the blessing is what? Boom! He destroys his, shatters his hip somehow. So we read, for the rest of his life, Jacob walks with a cane with a limp. Part of the blessing, he destroys his hip. Now, why is that, how is that a blessing? Come on. Like, don't you, this is why we have orthopedic surgeons. We don't, we don't need this nonsense in our lives. We want to be strong, right? Okay, how is this, here's how it's a blessing. Watch this. Now, no longer can Jacob do what when he sees smoke in the distance? I'm, I'm done running. He's done running. I may die, but I can't run away. And so because I can't run away, because I'm weak, what do I do? What does he do? He goes to the front of the line. And he meets Esau like a man for the first time in his life because he's strong now in his weakness. Does this make sense to you? How powerful is that? And then there's this powerful moment when they meet and someone said to me at the end of the last service, well, what happened? And I'm not going to tell you. You go home and read your Bible, you'll figure it out. Okay? 
It might be a good ending, but you have to figure it out. The point is he goes forward precisely because he's broken. Do you get it? Man, when I say to the Lord, man, I'm anxious. And I know all the verses about peace, but I'm anxious. The byproduct of naming my anxiousness is the capacity to live. And sometimes the anxiety goes away and sometimes it doesn't. But I'm able to live in the strength of Christ. Man, I'm cynical. Man, I'm greedy. Man, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is for you. I don't like showing up, body image issues. I'm afraid of the future. Are you weak? Yeah, you're weak. But if you want to be strong, begin to do this. Thank you, God, for this. And then name your weakness. Thank you, God, that you meet me in my anxiety and become my peace. Thank you, God, that you meet me in my lust and become my purity. Thank you, God, that you meet me in my cynicism and become my hope. Thank you, God, that you meet me in my fear and become my courage. Thank you. This is the gospel, you guys. We're not turned into superheroes. We're weak people enabled to be made strong through the glory of Christ. The only way we'll be willing to step toward the impossible is if we believe that God will provide what we need to do the impossible. So God uses weak, bitter people in Rwanda to do a profound reconciliation. God uses people who find it impossible to serve in their work environment and they end up serving because they acknowledge their weakness and their, and their, and their lack of capacity to serve. God, God fills us with impossible generosity when we acknowledge our fear of the future or our greed. God fills us with impossible love uh, when we acknowledge our lust. God fills us with impossible endurance when we acknowledge that, that we tend to run away when things get hard. But it starts uh, with naming our weakness and saying, thank you, God, because it's, the, it's right here. It's this weakness that has caused me to look to you and find in you all the strength that I need. This is the gospel. And it brings us directly, directly to the stage.